0: Last week, we turned uh, turned our attention into the Gospel of Matthew in the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, looking first at the opening uh, verses of Chapter 5, the Beatitudes, the blessings that come to us uh, not as ironic facts, but as a deep expression of the abiding presence and love of God in our deepest needs and circumstances. The rest of the sermon uh, is not so much in the indicative sense, naming what already is, but Jesus in this account, in a teaching session, lays out the instructions uh, for people uh, more of directions and imperatives. It's a beautiful passage with which I think many of us are familiar, and it's uh, an act of fact of providence uh, that we're looking at it today. Uh, on the occasion of the visit of our friends from Bethel. Uh, it's not a product of uh, planning, it's a evidence of providence. that on this day, um, we will be worshipping God with our cousins um, from Bethel with deep thanks for the continuing revelation uh, given to each congregation by the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, of Sarah and Rachel and Leah and Rebecca. To show us the way of life, Jesus turns from the blessings to the imperatives, the indicatives, with a bridge in verses 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, Jesus is not talking here about table salt and a shaker on the dining room table. He's talking about the salt, which is the one of the elements in establishing and um, celebrating the covenant that God has established with the people of Israel. Salt is a symbol of that covenant. But if the covenant ceases to be real in our lives, if we fail to follow through on the promises that we have made in in response to God's love for us, then it's lost its saltiness and we throw it out because the covenant is really just so much of an empty promise. And so you throw it away. And then he said, but if you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and so give glory to Abba in heaven. Not glory to yourself, because the good works that we do, the fulfillment of our covenant with God in response to what God has done for us, are not to give glory to ourselves, but to give God glory, give Abba, the beloved one in heaven, to give that glory to God. He then continues, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the Torah, and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, Matthew has this teaching included here at this moment, because even in the time of Matthew in the late decades of the first century, the tension within Judaism over the identity of the teacher from Nazareth is becoming a source of great dissension and discussion and disruption within the synagogue. And some people who were following Jesus, and of course, remember at this point, um, virtually all of his followers were Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. His followers were Jews. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Jew. I'll tell you a little story. Our niece, Kathleen O'Hara Donegan, was engaged to be married to Kenneth Levi Goldsmith, Kathleen had grown up in a very devout Irish Catholic neighborhood and family. Her her grandmother was a daily communicant at St. Francis of Assisi Church. She prayed the rosary twice a day, morning and afternoon, as the roast was in the oven waiting for dinner to be done. And she went to the Rhode Island School of Design and fell in love with a young man who was the descendant of Jewish immigrants from Russia. So everybody was very nervous that Nanny Donegan was upset. And so the day before the wedding, in which I was going to preside because, you know, a Catholic girl and a Jewish boy, get the Protestant, they'll do anything. <laughs> right? So I'm sitting in the living room with Nanny. I said, Nanny, uh, people are worried that you're upset. She said, oh no, I'm not upset at all. I'm delighted. Uh, And I said, why? She says, well, everybody knows that Mary, our blessed mother, was a Jewish maiden. I said, well, that's right, Nanny, that's true. And I said, not only that, Jesus was Jewish. She said, he was not? (laughs) He was a Roman Catholic? (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, where was I? Oh, yes. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The early Christian church struggled with this question. Are we replacing Judaism? Are we supplanting Judaism? Are we superseding Judaism? Or are we bound in the eternal covenant of God with the Jewish people, with the people Israel? And do we find ourselves grafted into that covenant not to supersede, but to be joined with glad hearts? That's the position of Matthew. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one iota, will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of these of the least of my commandments, of the God's commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now he addresses one of the principal issues of his day. Judaism was in a state of crisis at this time. The Roman occupation, and in fact, The occupation had really never ended since the Babylonian captivity. Jews had never really been able to stand on their own without some foreign power exerting control and influence and oppression upon them. And how should we respond? And how should we respond in a new cultural, historical context to a law that was given a thousand years before to a nomadic people who lived in the desert, and now we live in cities and farms and we have an established culture and society. And so different groups were growing up. The Sadducees were collaborators with Rome, keep the peace. The Zealots, they wanted an armed rebellion. The Pharisees were hard at work trying to figure out how we can interpret the law so that it's relevant today to the actual lived experiences of the people. And some of the Pharisees wanted to withdraw from the world to maintain purity. And other Pharisees taught us to go into the world, to become like the leaven in the loaf, a metaphor that Jesus will use later in this sermon to change the world. It's in that context that Jesus, who I believe was a Pharisee himself, offers these words. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The point here that Matthew is making is not that the Pharisees are bad, but their righteousness is so complete that you would have to exceed that righteousness to enter into the kingdom of heaven. From this point, he will go on and teach about You've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but I say whoever murders is angry in their heart, that is the same as murder. You've heard that said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you have adulterous thoughts, it's the same thing. He amplifies to expand the requirements of the law upon the people. He doesn't diminish them, doesn't dumb them down, doesn't excoriate the Pharisees for their teaching, but rather elevates that and says we're called to even greater obedience to God. So think about this. A culture riven with conflict, facing severe geopolitical questions, all kinds of economic disparity and injustice, all kinds of dialogue and vitriol and casting dispersions on people because of their religious beliefs. It's not just in the first century. It sounds a lot like, uh, what do you call it, uh, today. Right, the Torah is a thousand years old in Jesus' day. Jesus' teachings are two thousand years old in our day. The remarkable thing is that while the outward circumstances are vastly different, the deep-lived human reality, the issues that beset people a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago, the things that hurt three thousand years ago are the things that hurt today. The things that are evil and wrong and broken and unjust 3,000 years ago are broken and unjust today. So just as the Pharisees and Jesus and Jesus' disciples were called to understand in the context of their own living what it means to follow God, to be a disciple of Jesus, is both a joy and a challenge. Because note, If you disobey them, if you walk away from them, you will be lost. But whoever teaches and shows and lives by the commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Living by the commandments is not a discipline that we undertake in order to receive the favor and blessings of God. Living by the commandments and fulfilling the law and the prophets, leading a decent, humane, and compassionate, courageous life is not something that we do to earn God's love. It is something that we do in response to the love that we have already received from God. It's our opportunity to share in that blessing, that joy, as we reciprocate the law of God, which is love. Not to make ourselves bigger, but to make ourselves smaller. As he says in the Beatitudes, the less of me there is, the more there is of God. So let us not seek to abolish the law and the prophets, but to be joined with Jesus and all those who follow the commandments of God to make them real and fulfilled in our own day and time. Amen.